Well, good morning. Good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, how are you? You good? I'm waiting for a response. You good? All right, good. Um, so I'm David. This is Rhonda. And uh, we have been married 35 years. 35 years. 35. Thank you. Thanks. We have uh, two great kids, Rachel and Andrew. Andrew's on the front row. Hi, hi, and hi, buddy. <laughs> Biggest fan. So um, let's tell tell them how we met. Well, David has told this story so many times in the past, but perhaps a few of you haven't heard it. So I won't go into the full details, but the mini me version. We were at Asbury Seminary. I was in the library studying, writing a paper, and David came in to socialize. And um, he started doing the guy thing and was trying to impress me with his wit and charming personality, my which I was, my nose. yes, yes, your my profile. Nose. And he turned to say goodbye and literally, boom, he walked right in, smack into one of the big beams supporting the library, broke his glasses in half, and he claims to this day that it was the Florence Nightingale effect, and I felt sorry and had to marry him. Yep. But um, we really didn't start dating until about two years later, and then you were on your way out of seminary, and I was actually starting right. seminary, and um, you were a familiar face yep. in a sea of like 500 men, and there were like 50 women. And so I was like, he's a familiar, safe face. We could eat lunch. We played racquetball. So that kind of started the journey. Yep. We ended up going down and doing a youth event in Florida with 14 other people. So we caravaned down in cars. And I just so happened to manipulate it that Ron and I ended up being in the same vehicle with two other folks. And so we spent a lot of time talking, getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. And on the way back, I decided to make my first move for the first kiss. It was about three in the morning and everybody was tired. We were in the back sleeping. I woke up. I thought, here's my shot. Here's my chance. <laughs> There's no way she's going to reject this kiss. No way. I went over for the plant and she stuck her lips out and it was by far the worst kiss <laughs> ever in the history of kissing. I mean, the planet, the planet was just disgusted by this kiss, but I, I persevered. Okay. I persevered in this relationship and uh, I really found there's something very attractive about this woman beside her, her gorgeous brown eye, her brunette hair, eyes, brunette her freckles. Eyes, yeah. it, was her, it was her love for Jesus. That's what attracted me to her love for Jesus. And so we dated for eight months. And here's a picture coming up here uh, of part of our engagement. Look at that. Uh, does, any, does anyone remember the name Jim Croce? <laughs> well, people called me Jim Croce. And then... Uh, and then there's our engagement picture uh, coming up there. That's more like the Kramer picture from Seinfeld. <laughs> and, um, and then we got married. Uh, we were engaged 11 months. So anyone, anyone thinking about getting married someday, 11 months was a really long time, really long time. I wish we'd shortened it. But uh, we've been married 35 years, be 36 in August. Here's our wedding picture. And uh, we got married in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then we drove um, the next day after we got married to Hilton Head, believe it or not, little, no, little did we know that we would actually someday move yeah, here to South Carolina. And this family in our church gave us a really nice condo for I think a hundred bucks. And so we drove down and uh, this will date ourselves, but we were driving a Datsun. Okay, does anyone remember a Datsun? We were two, driving two a stick- Two door, was it a two door? Two door, two, <laughs> two door Datsun stick shift. And um, 
This is before we even owned a credit card. So. Yeah, and yeah. what happened was we didn't leave till like noon or one o'clock. And so we didn't, we forgot, we didn't really know how far of a drive it was to Hilton Inn from Cincinnati. And so about eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I asked Rhonda if she would drive and she was not really adept at driving not a, a stick fan. shift. Not a fan. So tell them what happened. Oh, goodness. So we were driving, finally got off the highway in the back roads going to Hilton Head and a storm broke out in just, you know, torrential downpour and it was black as night, no lights, no city street signs or anything like this. So finally, David's trying to encourage me to drive a little bit better, I guess the word would be. And um, so finally, after much encouragement from him, I just had had it. So I said, (laughs) I stopped the car in the middle of the street. Probably alligators were like out in the puddles yeah. looking at us. I got out of the car, stormed around and said, you drive. Yeah. That was our first yeah. fight as yeah. a married couple. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it got better. Yeah, it, the honeymoon it, got better. It, it, it did. did get better. But uh. So we want to ask you a kind of a group therapy question because we've been married 35 years. And so I'd like just to kind of acknowledge some people here. So do me a favor for a moment. If you've been married five years or less, would you stand up? If you've been married five years or less, would you stand up? Okay. Look at that. Look at that. That's cool. <laughs> you aren't married, Andrew. <laughs> okay. Good job, Andrew. If you've been married, thank you. If you've been married six to 10 years, would you stand up? If you've been in that six to 10 year range, there we look at go. that. That's very cool. Thank you. If you've been married like uh, 11 to 20 years, would you stand up? If you're in that group, 11 to 20. Wow. Look at that. That is awesome. Look at that. And thank you. And if you if you're in that 21 years to 30 years, would you stand? <laughs> Look at that. That is amazing. Yeah, cool. And if you're in if you're in that 30 to 40 range, you've been married 30 to 40 years. Look at that. Look at that. One, Look two, at that. Three, four, five, six. Wow. Very cool. And if you are 40 to 50 years, anybody in the house here? We had a bunch in the first service. There we go. There we go. There we go. Maybe they could come up and trade places with us. Anybody been married 60 years or more in in the house? Okay. A (laughs) hundred? Okay. Thank you so much. That's really awesome. Um, Jesus was asked the question from uh, some leaders kind of antagonizing him, saying, can you tell us about marriage? And further, can you tell us about divorce, what you think about that? And Jesus said, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made it male and female? And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. They will no longer be two, they will be one. And so this morning, we want to talk to you for a few minutes about God's plan to weave us together. You've heard from a lot of young couples. You've heard from some older couples. Um, every, everyone that's in their journey is in their journey. That's where they are. And we're at a 35-year-old journey. And so we just, we want to value and appreciate anyone who, who's at where they are because that's where they are. But we want to talk this morning a little bit about what it's like to try to bring Christ into the center of the relationship. So we're not really dealing with conflict this morning, not really de- dealing with change, all the things. And by the way, I don't know if you've heard, but the, the women were fabulous. Jenna, Lindsay, mm-hmm. uh, Lynn, Lynn. Lynn Ker- Kersey, they were fabulous. They were fabulous. So Rhonda, she's going to be fabulous too. Okay. And she is fabulous. <laughs> all right. So 
The leave part is basically you're cutting strings, you're cutting attachments, you're not cutting the friendship or the relationship with your parents because we love our family, but it's a snip, snip, snip. And, and what you're doing is in the leaving part, as I'm now saying, we are priority. We are number one priority. You're my number one priority. I'm your number one priority. And that's the leave part. And then obviously the weave part, we got an idea from a guy named Dan Allender, a Christian psychologist who says weaving is this. It's the call for a young couple or older couple to weave their lives together. To weave is to merge heart and soul through the spoken word. The, the purpose of this talk is also not to talk about the cleave, but right. we want to put one little bookmark there. Um, the cleave. The cleave is fantastic. The cleave is the okay. fantastic. That's the sexual intimacy aspect of marriage. And it's not our purpose to talk about it today, but we want to say two points really quickly. Number one, it's God's plan. It's his creation. He's crazy about it. He designed it and to reflect really a part of his love for us. The second point we want to make quickly about the cleave part is Satan absolutely hates it. He will do anything to destroy the intimacy that we have as married husband and wife. And that's why there's an onslaught in our society with pornography, with addiction in that way, with um, the, the double bonds yep. that occur. Yep. So that was, that, we'll take that bookmarker back and yeah. move on yeah, to the Yeah, the word leave. cleave means to be glued together. And we believe that uh, in this talk this morning is that if we can, as husbands and wives, if you're married or you're thinking about marriage or you're getting engaged, if you can consider this concept that if you will put Jesus in the very center of that relationship, it will create an amazing, amazing marriage. It will produce a maximum marriage. It will create more emotional intimacy, more sexual intimacy, uh, just more fun. And yet we found that marriage does not solve problems. Have you found that out? Hello? Have you found that out? That actually marriage increases problems? Mm -hmm. Because Bill Heibel says in his book, Fit to be Tied, one sinner meets another sinner. Both saved by grace, but we're coming together and we're learning to figure out how to do life. So Rhonda comes from a family where, you know, her dad can fix anything and everything. And she married me because maybe assuming that I would be the same, I cannot fix hardly anything. And so you're learning to adjust. One family says, hey, what do we do for people who have a wedding? Do we bring gifts? One family says, we bring lots of gifts. The other family says, we don't, bring, we don't ever bring gifts. So you're learning to navigate this, this. I heard some giggles there. You're learning to navigate these two radically different people who are coming together and figuring out how to do this journey. So how do we weave a Christ-centered marriage? And so the great thing about my uh, talk with Rhonda this morning is that you will know when we're done, we use what's called an acrostic or an acronym, and it's gonna be W-E-A-V-E. So you'll know when we get to the V and the E, we're about done. Okay, that's a good thing. And then you can go, welcome to Moe's. Okay, here we go. So here we go. The first W is weave. Everybody say weave. Weave. All right, so what are we weaving? We're weaving what my friend Larry Wagner calls the I life and the we life. So here's David Olshine, and he goes off to his job, and I teach, I'm a professor, I teach at Columbia International University. So all day long, I'm at CIU doing my thing, and I'm being my I life. It's called my I life. Meanwhile, Rhonda, who also is a faculty, assistant and teaches. I on, go over on, here on, and do my thing. She's doing her thing and she's having her eye life as well. Now I'm not panicking and freaking out that we're not together and she's not freaking out that we're not together. But, but as I grow in my eye life, my relationship with God, I'm learning things. It 
brings a whole new dimension that when we come together, we have what's called the we. There's a picture of that coming up soon. We got the we life. And so as we merge our lives together, if I'm not learning much, I'm not growing, there's a gap. There's a deficit in our we life. If Rhonda's not, and there, there, there are times that we're not growing as individuals. Mm-hmm. So we've had to work hard at that. In fact, when we were engaged, we took this so seriously. We got pastoral counseling from Rhonda's pastor, which was fair, okay? Then it, it was just fair. It wasn't that great. He and did then, tell us one thing that made us turn beet red though. And we've, we've thought about it ever since. What's that? It stuck with us. Well, it's going back to the cleave principle. He looked at us very seriously, these young 20-year-old hormonally charged youngsters that oh, we were. Yeah. And he said, I think married couples should make love more than non-married couples. And, you know, he was in his Presbyterian. He actually said, I think Christian couples should make more love, have more love than non-Christian couples. And I'm going, yes. <laughs> and I'm going, beat red. Yeah. That was um, supposed to be funny. Then we went, then we went to, we went to a weekend called Engage Discovery, which was very intense and very heavy. And then we went to another thing on marriage. And what, what I'm trying to say here is we knew we were bringing in some junk. We knew we were bringing some emotional baggage. We knew we were bringing some stuff. And so we had to develop this I life so that when now as a couple, we come together as a we, we've got something to share. Let me illustrate this by uh, a concept called the hoopa. Everybody say hoopa. Okay, so my, my relative Jeremy got married two years ago and they got married under the hoopa. Now the hoopa is an ancient Jewish tradition in which the bride and the groom got married under a covering. And Ron and I are gonna show you what it looks like. Do we have a slide of that? They do have a slide, there it is right there. Okay. So my, co- my, my nephew Jeremy got married under the hoopa. It was an Orthodox Jewish service. The hoopa is made of a prayer shawl at the very top. And normally the bride would weave the hoopa prayer, the cloth, and it would be, there we go. And then it would be strung up by four poles. And so it was held over the couple and the couple would stand under the hoopa and they would get married. And the goal of this was to realize a couple things. One is that out of now thinking today, out of 7 billion people on the planet, I chose you. And you chose me. There's an exclusivity. There's an exclusivity to this relationship. Me and you, no one else is is allowed in here. This is confidential. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And (laughs) this is between us. This is our relationship. And so I bring the I in and Rhonda brings her I in. And we have a we relationship. And learning to protect that relationship, learning to navigate that relationship can be very, very difficult. But once you start to work on it and say, I am going to commit myself to grow as a human being. I'm going to commit myself to grow as a Christ follower. She's going to commit to herself to grow as a Christ follower. And then when we bring that together, we have a lot to share. We have a lot to share. In fact, Ecclesiastes says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other person off. Uh, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three, watch that, a cord of three cannot be broken. You know who the third is between our spouse and a husband, right? You know who the third person is? God. You're asking God in the person of Jesus to be in the center of that relationship. So as I grow as an I and Rhonda grows as I, we come together as a we and we have a lot to share. Now, the next E is called embrace. Everybody say embrace. Embrace Embrace a Christ-centered marriage. Now, there is an S word in the Bible 
that nobody likes. It's the word submit. Submit yourselves one to another in the reverence or fear of Christ. Now, this word has kind of some bad connotations. And the idea here is that David Olshine submits to Christ. Rhonda submits to Christ. We submit now to each other. And so when it comes to decision-making, someone's like, well, how do you make decisions? Well, we submit to Christ and we ask for his wisdom. And we're not talking about groceries or, or, or silly stuff like that, but we're talking about maybe even making major decisions. Like mm-hmm. tell them about us coming mm-hmm. to South Carolina, how we moved here. We were, we were in Tulsa at a big church. Um, David was doing youth ministry there. And we had moved all the way from Ohio after six years of pastoral ministry to this church and were planted. And David started sensing God's call for what's next. And I was open to that. I was like praying for that too. But then he met Dr. Bill Jones, who wasn't the president of CIU at the time, but Bill was teaching youth ministry and David was asking Bill about his job. And Bill said, well, what do you want to do next? And he said, I want your job. And Bill said, well, you might just have to come and get it. You, you know, so they started talking about David going there, across back from Oklahoma to South Carolina. And um, I was open to it, but then David told me it would be a $15,000 cut and I, in our salary. And I just cried because I thought, oh, yes, you we, I mean, we were, we were so poor after seminary. We were excited to eat at McDonald's on a Friday night. You know? So there was the first time in our married life that we had a little bit of financial stability. We had bought our first house. How are we going to sell a house we had just bought? And God just one after another showed us as we submitted to him mm-hmm. and then we brought our feelings our concerns yeah. our our dreams to each other and yeah. laid them on the table before yeah. god yeah yeah and so as you submit to me i submit to you so i i, I kind of tell people i i say that i'm the head of the house and Rhonda gives me permission so um <laughs> that that's kind of a, a a way of saying we look to god to guide our relationship mm-hmm. to guide our family mm-hmm. so that's that's what that's about. The A is about appreciating differences. Uh, how many of you would, would have a group therapy moment to say you and your spouse are pretty different? Could I see a, could we see a moment here? Come on, Dan. Come on. There you go. There you go. Come on. Anybody else? Thank you. So, um, and you know what? In our culture, that tends to be tolerated. Mm-hmm. But a biblical worldview is I appreciate her differences. In 1 Corinthians 12, the scripture says that there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but all in all and everything is the same God at work. So I'm more of a teaching uh, pastor. I've got, those are some of my gifts. She actually has teaching gifts, but Rhonda's, Rhonda's spiritual gift is exhortation. And which means- uh, Pick she, up the socks on the That's floor. right, pick up the socks. <laughs> she's good and she's a fix it person. She likes to fix it. I'm much more of a counselor, a listener, let's process this. And she's an exhorter. So that, produ- that produces a little bit of a clash, okay? And so we've had to learn to navigate that and not just put up with it, but to appreciate it because that makes me stronger. That makes mm-hmm. her stronger. So my friend, Les Parrott, He's a uh, Seattle guy, psychologist. He put together an inventory that I use with premarital's all kind of called Simba, saving your marriage before it starts. And one of the parts of the inventory is you have to check things and it ends up like what you think about this, what you desire about that. And it ends up coming out with several different categories. I'll just give a few. For example, I'm the energizing spouse. And those words mean this, I'm persuasive, I'm enthusiastic, I'm optimistic. I'm outgoing. Rhonda, she is the unwavering spouse. 
That means she's loyal, sincere, and diligent. And so the bottom line of this inventory is just basically to say this. Chances are everybody in here that's married or thinking about getting married, the person you're married to are probably wired differently. It's true. When we were, I remember first really seeing this very clearly when we were um, still dating. We were driving down Coleraine Avenue in, in the summer. David had been working at his church um, that he was appointed to. Actually, it was just down the street from my parents. Of all the churches in West Ohio he could be appointed to, it was that one by my parents' house. And I was home for the summer from school. And I was working at my church for the summer with the teenagers. We, so we, we were driving down the street and I said kind of nonchalant, just kind of like, you know, let's change the radio station to like, hey, I think God is leading us to get married. And you said, that's nice. He hasn't shown me that yet. <laughs> that was, man, that was a blow. <laughs> you know, that's like the dumper, dumpy. I mean, that was a blow. His outgoing personality at that point was like, we got to shut I, this one down. I just got <laughs> really, really quiet. I went home and I had like a bachelor's pad. I mean, I remember having a poster on my wall. That's how bachelor padish it was. It was like Murphy's Law, you know, like 20 things that can, can go wrong well. Um, and I remember just walking around. I'm not a crier, but I was walking between my, my, it was circular, my kitchen and my living room, my dining room, I could just walk in circles. And I'm just <laughs> sobbing, like I'm tired of the dating game. I'm sick and tired of this stuff. This is a woman I want to marry, but Lord, this is not the person you have for me. You can shut it down. I give you permission. Isn't that nice of me? I give you permission, God, you can <laughs> shut it down. And you know what? I woke up the next morning feeling like a brand new person. I felt like I'd really released this thing. I'd really given it to God. Mm -hmm. Then when I went back to school in the fall and David was working full time in Cincinnati, there was a definite relationship change because we knew that we, I just felt the difference. I didn't feel like you were needy or trying to force the relationship to grow too quickly. We could take our time. Yep. We could slow into this weaving process. Yep. Yep. And so... That leads us to the V, value. Value, spiritual intimacy. I have found that the most attractive thing that a guy can find is a woman that loves Jesus. And the most attractive thing a woman can find is a man that's pursuing God. That, there's something there. And then it adds to all the others. It adds to the emotional, it adds to the connection. It adds to when you're watching movies and when you're going on an event, you're going to the a farm or you're going to play, you're going on vacation, you're going to the beach. It adds all to that communication, the affection, the sexuality. Listen to this passage from um, the message. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other. I love that. Keep you in tune with each other. You, you know when you're listening to music when something's out of tune and a couple can be out of tune. He goes on to say this. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Cultivate thankfulness and let the word of Christ the message, have the run of the house. And he goes on to talk about wives, understand what your husbands are going through, submit to them and waste on them. And husbands, I love this, go all out in love for your wives, don't take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. So when we think of submission, we think of, oh, man's boss and the woman around, she's a doormat. No, 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 biblical submission is valuing the spiritual intimacy. And for some of us, that means just starting small. If you've never tried it, it means just starting with maybe a, a short prayer over dinner. 
over breakfast. Maybe for some of you, you've never really had a Bible study and it's, it's intimidating to you. It scares you. Well, there's a little devotional booklets. You can get them here at Mount Horb. There's apps that can go on your phone that are great, that are short and to the point. Um, and you can work through that. But I encourage you to start small. Now, Ron and I have progressed in our prayer life together. And now we basically take Wednesday nights. That's our prayer night. And that's our night, no TV. That's the night we pray with each other. We share what we're learning. We're growing together. That's not for every couple, but that's kind of what, that's our, that's our rhythm. That's our pattern. Mm -hmm. And then besides that togetherness, and we're doing in debriefing every day, of course, there, we're also as individuals daily putting ourselves under the voice of the Holy Spirit by soaking and consuming the word of God. If, if when we leave the word of God out of the mix, we quickly lose the chance to yeah. listen to the whispers and promptings of the spirit. Yeah. So as a married couple, we share a, a joy and a love for scripture, even as individuals, yeah. which is yeah. so and important. And we share struggles. We share what we're going through. If we're depressed or sad or, or we're struggling with our children or whatever, we share all of that. And then we pray about that. And we ask the Lord to help mm -hmm. us. The last E, you're glad this is it. The last E, expand the kingdom. Now this is huge. Okay, this is a whole new, what's called a paradigm shift for couples. It's now bigger than just us. Now, does anyone love going to weddings? Anybody love going to weddings? I love going to weddings. I love watching them. I love, if I'm officiating, I love doing the vows. I love their, their ooey, ooey, gooey-ness at each other, you know? But you, you know that that will come to a close shortly. You know that that won't last long, that ooey, gooey-ness. And the thing that's gonna hold that couple together is recognizing how can we make an impact for the kingdom of God together? And this was something difficult for me because when I felt called to go into preaching and teaching, uh, I had just come out of the drug background, I came to Christ, I went to the number two party school in America. So for me, my, my list that I was creating and I had stupid stuff like they, this person needs to love the Cincinnati Bengals and the Reds and loves chocolate and hiking and all that stuff. But at the very top was love Jesus. But the second one was harder to find. This person and I are gonna be a team together spiritually. We're gonna to try to make an impact. So I couldn't just go through Athens, Ohio, go into every bar. Hey, is there any backslidden women in there that really, really <laughs> love Jesus and really wanna stop partying and marry me? I mean, you couldn't do that. I just couldn't do that. And so you ha I had to be selective in my list. Although my friend later told me, get rid of your list. You're, you're not that good. And I was like, wow, that's my friend, Mark Rowland. But the, our desire from the very beginning was to set the bar high that we want to love God and love people and love our world and love our neighborhood. Now, Ephesians gives a great passage for this. It says this, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And this can get very practical. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, grieve the Holy Spirit basically means go away. I don't want you here, Holy Spirit. Leave me alone. Let me do my own thing. Let me, let me have my own life. It means to shut the Spirit down. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. It says, and do not grieve the Spirit whom you were sealed. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. Now, there's four principles here that I'm gonna wrap up with and then Rhonda's got something really cool for you. If you welcome the Holy Spirit into your marriage, you will find these four things start to happen. 
One, you'll be careful with your words. Two, you'll learn to forgive. Three, you'll learn to let bitterness go. And fourth, you'll deal with unresolved anger. Now, there have been at least twice that I can remember where we went to bed angry and we woke up angry. And we've spent a couple nights where we had to talk till two in the morning to get resolved to say the words that we learned in our engagement. Help me out. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And then David added. Let's make out. Okay. <laughs> the young people are going, gross. <laughs> if you will allow the spirit to lead your marriage, you're going to find ways to build each other up. You're going to find each, ways to not go to bed mad. You're going to find ways to not let bitterness take a root. And you're going to learn the words. I'm sorry I blew it. I was wrong for you. Forgive me. Now, my wife has, to my knowledge, never written a poem in our 35 years of marriage, but she has been writing one for this talk, and it's very powerful. So, honey, why don't you share about the weaving poem? Well, I will have to qualify that in our Olshine family, we have four people, and they all say that I'm the fourth funniest. So what <laughs> my poem has come out is kind of, a, and I taught middle school, so my humor is kind of... Uh, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Yeah. It's kind of Dr. Seuss. So this poem is a little Dr. Seuss-ish, but... Um, as, I was, as we were reflecting on weaving a tapestry of marriage that will last, I was starting to do some research on the process of what is a loom? And of course, you've, you probably, we might have a picture of the weave up there. The womb is just a device that does two things. It holds the vertical cords in tension so that the looping threads that are horizontal can be woven in. And um, as I thought of that, I thought that is such a great picture of marriage yep. connected to God. And then the other thing I thought about was the fact that um, part of the weave um, of certain tapestries, we saw beautiful tapestries in England at castles and in Italy as well, um, two years ago when we went, these huge medieval tapestries were constructed on a loom that fit more than one person. And they worked together. Mm -hmm side by side to create this masterpiece. But what I didn't know is most of those looms were designed so that you did not see the front of the tapestry until countless hours, hundreds of hours, many years were invested into the weaving process. And then at the very end of the weave, it was cut from the loom and flipped around. So in a sense, this weave that we're mm -hmm. doing in marriage we're looking at the backside of glory. Oftentimes it's kind of frayed and has knots and this was what led to this poem. So bear with me in my Dr. Seuss rhymes. But you took my bottle of water, so. You need your uh, water? I might, but we'll see. Um, it's called The Marriage Loom. With youthful hands held fast we cried, we shall weave this marriage design. We shall create a love to see a vibrant Hollywood tapestry. Dazzling, determined, we are set no help needed by us yet. Let the weave begin. But threads of self did from the start began to mar our weaver's bar. Pressures great and small did bear lay looping threads of strain and tear. Tiny fractures of fear, of fair, a failure of fear obscured the pattern treasured so dear. Little tears of wounds felt deep, lay knotted threads in silent heaps. Spiteful words, 
a sharpened tongue, endangered yet the pattern undone. But weave on, oh, did we attempt in haste and fear to hold together that pattern so clear. So over time, a tattered mess of knots and fray came to rest upon our marriage loom. The weave did sag, the progress slow, until at last we could not go, our own hands bound by knots of scorn, our strength was gone, our tapestry torn. Stain of Adam, stain of Eve, took gray hostage our wedding weave. It's just too hard, we both agreed, this marriage of the I and we. Our hands are tired, our hearts are hard, held by a thread, our marriage marred. Who can rescue? Who can aid? Who can rip out knots of gray? Who can mend the torn, the spent? Who can untangle fibers so spent? Rent. That's my rent. We are needy, we are weak, we are desperate. A master weaver do we seek. Let me take over, God called so clear. I have power and wisdom here. I will not take both bride and groom. I will restore your marriage loom. That which cost you tears and pain, my scarlet thread will regain. Only a threefold cord will suffice to weave you together as husband, as wife. What you have woven, I will gladly take. What you have marred, I will gladly remake. Those knots, those fears that did entwine will be remade by my design. I only ask to be the one who sets the pattern, who sets the flow of your marriage here below. So place your tired hands and worn hearts in mine to see how I will rework the design. So over time, a scarlet thread has come to rest upon our marriage loom. Wow. <laughs> Every 35 years, she's going to write a poem. That's good. <laughs> well, we want to pray for you and pray for us. So, honey, come on out here and let's pray that God would help us all as people who are thinking about marriage, think people who are married, people who are thinking about letting their marriage go. Would you pray with us? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, not just in this building, but in our lives. So we take a minute to pause and say, we need you. We need you in the center of our relationships, in the center of our marriages, and we ask you to do some weaving this morning. We ask you to do some restoring this morning. We ask for communication to grow, for spiritual intimacy to start for those who've never started, for those who have started, that they will continue and they'll up it and they'll grow more, that the I and the we will come together and grow with one another. Father, we thank you for every young adult that's here, every single person that's here that's kind of wondering why the heck am I here? What am I going to do with all this information? We thank you for every couple and would you bind them together in Christ? Would you bind them together in Christian love? And would you make a difference in their lives so they can make a difference not only with each other, but they would expand the kingdom. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. 
And all God's people said, amen. amen.